Hello, everybody. We have another episode of Ignorant Bliss right now. Uh, this one is with Warren Bernard, the executive director of Small Press Expo and author of the book Cartoons for Victory. You could say this episode is probably going to be one of the closest you get to an actual interview from me with someone. Since Warren isn't a person I really knew personally, I met him at SBX this past year. Um, and he was interested in just getting on a podcast. He was like, oh, do a podcast? I love do one. I was like, have you on my podcast about that? Um, I was able to visit him in his home and see his immense comic and pulp library. And you'll hear different parts of the discussion where we talk about some of the stuff he showed me uh, of comics from from the past and a lot of comics from black cartoonists a lot that I I'm be honest I didn't know about at all um that aren't really celebrated or, or just completely forgotten because of the lack of of black newspapers as time went on a lot of he showed me some of the craziest racist comics like hand bones story it was oh man it's something to see um a lot of pulps we talk about SBX, Small Press Expo, uh, some about how that works, and I hope you enjoy. sends me a note saying, uh, actually this woman sends me a note from Sirius XM Radio, would I want to be interviewed on the Bob Edwards show? So I, I went down and that was the only other time I've ever been on radio was that. So this is exciting. Yeah, so this is essentially my podcast is I just basically talk to people. Right. I'm not a, I'm not a journalist. I don't, I don't know how to do this. I just kind of just started talking to people, talking to my friends. Sure. And then... Yeah, I ran into you at SBX. At the, uh, it was over. You came up to my friend Ron, which I've right, since college. Right, yeah, because we, you were sitting there in the bar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm like, uh, you ever seen that show Entourage? Yeah. yeah I'm, he's kind of like, uh, the way I always joke about it, it's like he's 
the star guy. Right. And I'm E. I'm the You're little, E. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm always I'm always around. And at least you're yeah. not turtle. Nah, yeah, I'm not driving nobody. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm not driving nobody. I'm, I'm listening. I'm reading the scripts, and I'm dealing with the Aries. So yeah. Right. So, I guess my my question is like, how long? How long have you been interacting? We've been doing SPX because like I'm still new to. I feel I'm still too new to it because SPX has been going for so long, and I've only really been going for like. Like a couple of years, like five or six years, and then it's like, this well, is like the, this whole the nature of this whole thing is like this weird thing, I guess, and that the center of independent comics is happening like Washington D.C. Right in D.C. Yeah, um, I first started, I think it was two thousand two, two thousand three. I just went up to volunteer for like a couple of hours at the registration desk. Um, then I, uh, you know, maybe a couple of years after that, I says, eh, you know, I'll attend one of the planning meetings and I started to do public relations stuff. Um, and then, uh, what was it? This is my fifth SPX. So five and a half years ago, I was asked to, um, to go ahead and be executive director and for better or for worse, that's how I got, <laughs> that, that's how I got to where I am today. Well, uh, why did they ask you? So I'm guessing you. How long have you been writing pieces for the comics journal? Well, that that, that occurred after. Okay. Um, so well, they um, they came and, and got me. The executive director had passed away. I remember reading about that. Yeah. When that happened. Yeah. So um, uh, and and I have uh, lots of background in the corporate world, so that they they wanted somebody to come in and and. You know, since a lot of stuff had been left behind, as the case may be, and they asked me to come in and, and do it because I had all of this other experience in terms of dealing with contracts and dealing with, um, you know, we, we were dealing with the Marriott. We wanted to, they wanted to go ahead and redo the Articles of Incorporation and the structure of the, uh, uh, of how the whole SPX was set up as a corporation. Yeah. So they asked me to come in to basically do all that stuff. So they wanted, they basically wanted to. A person that knows how to work like a suit to help out all these fancy dancing. You know something? Arts. It's interesting. I never thought of myself as a suit, but I actually. You don't have, have to be a suit. You just know how the <laughs> suit world works. Well, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I actually have two really nice Italian suits because I. <laughs> you got to dress up. You got to put the armor on. I, I, when I was in the corporate world, I, I had a saying: When you're in a Shark Tank, best to look like a shark. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so I was I was a suit. Um, and even after I, I left my job, I, I did um, high-level consulting and stuff like that up at the CIO, CEO, senior VP level. So I, I was used to doing, you know, corporate stuff. High-level management stuff. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. I'm guessing that, like, why you even started volunteering at SPS because you was already in the comics. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, look, when I was um, – it all uh, I, I can blame my parents. When I was seven, I had my tonsils out. And I'd never seen a comic book before. And while I was in the hospital, my parents gave me a copy of Superman. And it all went uphill or downhill from there, depending on your perspective. <laughs> and so I read DC Comics as a kid. And then when I moved here to Maryland when I was in high school, um, one of the first people I met had this huge, really magnificent collection of Marvels. Um, and where I lived in New York, you didn't see Marvel Comics. They weren't distributed to the candy stores out in my neighborhood. Okay. Um, 
but he had it. He had all of them. And so it was really great because I would just go over to his house and literally borrow a stack of 20 Fantastic Fours. <laughs> and just read them. <laughs> and just, just read them all the way through because he had pretty much everything. And, I, you know, I'm talking about, you know, Thor, Tales of Suspense, Tales of Suspense. I mean, he had everything. Um, so uh, I then got into that. And then when I was in college... I got into the New Yorker stuff. I went into a bookstore one day, and there was a thing. So I got into single panel. It was a, one of the books from the 1930s. And so I got into single panel cartooning. And, and also while I was in college, um, I got turned on to underground comics. So And then you know from there, it was a very slow walk over to independent comics as they came out in the 80s. So, yeah, comics have always been around. Comics have always been around. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to go down to... They used to have um, uh, art shows down at the Jane Haslam Gallery for political cartoonists. And so Jeff McNelly would come down there. Burke Brethed, when he was doing Bloom County, came down there. And so I would go down to that. So I've got a couple of originals from that kind of stuff. So, oh, wow. Um, uh, but the, and, you know, so I, you know, I've, I've got a long background going back to the age of seven. Well, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, you've been reading a long time. That's like when I started reading comics. When, when was that? When I was seven, so it was like nineteen eighty-seven. Hey, guess yeah. what? Same age. Yeah, yeah. It was. Just, <laughs> it's funny. Although I, I hope you weren't in the hospital recovering from a top no, tonsillectomy. No, actually, okay? I was in like being taken to like the mall shopping with my mother, and happened to be like. I think actually the first comic I read was in a People's Drug. Do you remember? That? Oh yeah, I remember yeah. People's Drug. Sure. Yeah, because yeah, they had the comics there. Yeah. Had, like a, it was like Superman. It was a Superman comic, and then it was a like Transformers comic, and a Spider-Man comic, and I read those. Like she bought them for me because that was still comics was still under a dollar. Yeah, sure, yeah. And then in the good old days. Yeah, yeah, and then it got to the point where like sometimes when we were shopping, like I would go to like the Walden bookstore that was in the mall where we would shop at, because I read the first Batman comic. Actually, no, it was a Batman comic. It was a Superman, a Batman, and Transformers, and then like. The second Batman comic I ever read was like Dark Knight Returns because it was just on the right, rack. Right, sure, it was just on the rack. It was yeah, on the rack like yeah. it was another big deal. Yeah. It, it totally screwed up my whole Right. Because <laughs> it was like I was trying to like... The Batman comic was already different from the TV show, which was kind of weird because the TV show was like Adam West and there's the phone and yeah, sure. sliding down the pole and then they driving. <laughs> and then like... I read the comic, I think it was Norm Bryfogel was drawing it and the demon was in it and I was like, I don't even understand this. And then you read Dark Knight Returns and like Ronald Reagan's in it. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I'm like, why is Ronald Reagan in the comic book? Like my brain is like, <laughs> like why is current events? Because I was like, I used to watch the news because I didn't control television. So I knew who Ronald Reagan was. I knew about Gorbachev. I'm like, why is all this stuff in here? Why is Superman look old? Because I'm thinking of Christopher Reeve. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it was like weird. That was, like, for, I guess for me, excuse my entire idea well, comics like for and, and, superhero comics it's like well and and that and the Watchmen they came out within like a year or two one yeah, I didn't even I saw those ads because they used to have the ads in all the books but I didn't yeah. even read Watchmen until I was like 22 yeah but you know at that time okay they, they you know you sat there and you you know you went up to the comic book store and there was all this other stuff then you got either the Watchmen or you got you know Dark Knight and the world had changed okay there's no you know in terms of superhero world it was never going to be the same again yeah yeah, it was, it's just, it's interesting to look back on that, because I guess for me, that's kind of like where I started, so I don't like, 
think it's bad, but I kind of reject some of it because it's like that got a little bit too. Well, well, yeah, because now the the road it led down was that everybody now needs to have a a, a badass backstory or be quote unquote complicated or yeah. what have you. And um, the the other thing that it did was if if you notice the way they now they now do stuff, they plan these long story arcs to try to hook you into as many books as possible. Now, when I when I was reading, when you go back and read the old Marvel stuff, okay, as but one example, or even the Superman stuff, you know, DC stuff. Maybe you got a three-issue arc, story arc, and that's it. And there were self, nice self-contained stories. So if you wanted to get in in the middle, all you have to do is go up to the newsstand, pick up one. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, self-contained story. And over the course of time, you know, back stuff would get filled in, and, and you, you could do you it. figure it out, yeah. Now you try to go into the middle of it, and it's it's impossible. Yeah. It seems, it's just, it just seems weird. It seems like... I see some of like the heart is gone out of like superhero comics. I guess for me when I when I read it, it seems like it's all. Well, there's no there's no honor left. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's no, um, even even if you look at the samurai model, there's no bushido. There's no, um, strictly the you know the honor of doing good. Yeah. Okay. Everything's got to have some level of darkness or some level of badness going on inside or you know you got super manipulation or what have you, but there's no honor left. Yeah, that's what I, that's that's what was weird for me because I think the some of the other comics I read when I was, when I was a kid that sounds like nothing else the other kids was reading because it was in the library. That's what the other place where I got comics was uh was Concrete. Oh like, yeah, yeah, and, I, I read Concrete. That was yeah, great. I don't remember what I was reading because yeah. I was really reading it so young. Yeah, sure. That I don't remember what I was just remember reading. It, it had a totally different feel than any other comic out there at the time. It was this. Uh, it was almost a meditation. Yeah. Okay. And um, just some of the themes they were dealing with in concrete at the time were, were actually very interesting. Yeah. At the same time, there was also the silent invasion, which um, it was this really great thing that was like the ultimate in paranoia. You didn't know who was against you and who was for you. Um, uh, circa 1950s Red Scare America. That, that was really good at the same time. Oh, see, I never even... oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. The silent invasion was fantastic. That sounds like yeah. Something that I sounds like I want to look into. I'll, I can show it to you. I, I still have the books inside. You have so much. Like, how did you start this collection? <laughs> like, when did you start buying all these books? Well, uh, it, it of course started with comic books. Yeah. And, and I had you know one time I had a pretty decent comic book collection. Like I told you, I still have. I've got most of the Silver Surfers. I've got a near complete set of Fantastic Fours, like four or five through two fifty. Um, you know, smattering of comics, you know, here and there. I've got a lot of stuff still from the 80s and 70s. But I had put together, like, I at one time I had every Superman comic from 1957 to 1973. Oh, that had, sounds so money. That was oh, the yeah. fun Superman stories. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, so I had a lot of that stuff. But, you know, going going to college, I had to, I unfortunately, had to sell a lot of it. Yeah. I had, you know, Golden Age stuff to take me worth thousands of dollars. You know, a bunch of us, you know, went, went through the same went through the same things. So I'd always collected comics, and then I sort of referred to this before. When I started collecting the books, is when I walked into that into um, one of the used bookstores here in Washington, and I found that first New Yorker album, and I just fell in love with it. And so I started picking up, you know, I started going into used bookstores and buying these other albums. And then um, uh, I went after I started going after books. Um, with comics and cartoons in them, the way you would go after antiquarian books. So I have a lot of, as you saw, I have a lot of signed editions, a lot of editions with illustrations in them and things like that. So I kind of took this antiquarian book view of how to collect and put it into the 
comics world. And so I've got a lot of, you know, as, as you saw, I've got a lot of, you know, various materials, single panel cartoons, stuff like that. I kind of tapered down out of the superhero world and I tapered up into the indie comics world. Yeah, that's what it looks like. It just, the collection of like old comic, like old cartoons is amazing. Like, how did you decide to, did you decide to focus a lot on like, pre-war and World War Two stuff? Well, the war stuff I, I always liked. I really accelerated into that after I left my corporate job about 15 years ago. Um, but I always had an affinity for that because gr- growing up, you know, you saw the absurdity of Mikhail's Navy and Hogan's Heroes and stuff like that. Um, but at the same time, you had stuff like combat and a lot of the the men in the neighborhood that I was in in New York, there were a lot of World War II veterans there, and there was a glory in terms of the United States helped save the free world and, you know, things like that, um, you know, counter to the dark stuff that you and I had talked about earlier. Yeah. So the World War II stuff and World War One stuff was always there. Um, I then um, met a gentleman from uh, the Netherlands, Peter Van Amelsford, a good buddy of mine now, and I started trading him American material for European material. And um, so that kind of blew up the war-related stuff in terms of my collecting was making making that now lifelong contact. And um, so I always had that. You know, when it came to the to the newspaper stuff, I you know I've I've had spirit sections for for decades, as the case may be. Um, Sunday pages. I, I didn't get a chance to show them to you, but I've got uh, like ninety or a hundred Little Nemo and Slumberland Sunday pages. Um, that I bought literally like 30 years ago for like $13 a piece, which at that time was an outrageous amount of money. Yeah, but so now it's, it's like chump yeah, change. Now it's, yeah, now it's like chump change. Yeah, now it's, you know, 10 times that amount. So, um, and so there were things like, for instance, I always thought Harvey Kurtzman was someone that should be collected, so I got a bunch of his stuff. I always thought Will Eisner needed to be collected. So, for instance, as his books came out in the 80s and 90s with the signed editions, I bought all the signed editions because I thought I thought he was important. I thought Robert Crumb was important. So there were these people that I thought were important, so I, I went after them, okay, that, you know, there's people with works that I really liked. Um, and then, uh, you know, the rest of it, uh, either I got exposed at it at... Um, uh, uh, SPX in particular, because uh, that was the first indie comic stuff that I used to go that that I went to. Um, you know, then I, uh, a Mocha I went to when they first started. TCAF I went to my first one about six or seven years ago. That's another fantastic show. So my, my my life has expanded out. So you know, of course, I got into the Chris Wares and the Daniel Clauses and the Charles Burns and. Um, you know, Kate Beaton came to SPX. Yeah, I remember she had a huge and, line. Yeah, she had huge, huge lines. And, the, you know, the first time she came, um, I really didn't know who she was. And I went out and read her stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, this stuff is fantastic. So um, it's this, um, uh, it, 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 one, it's an evolution. But two, um, I can draw, you know, my collection does not view Kate Beaton and Thomas Nast as being different. Okay, Jack Kirby and Charles Burns are not different to me. Yeah. They're all valid in the world of cartoons. Okay, I have a large, no, not a large, I've got a decent political cartoon collection, and I view her block and Carmen Infantino the same way. Okay, there's no. I find it funny you just call your collection decent at <laughs> <laughs> Well,. And, and, of course, you, you got the quick tours. There's a bunch of stuff that you didn't see, but I, the, there, were, there was some stuff that was clear that I wanted you to see because, yeah. uh, you know, there's a lot of people don't know some of the histories, like we were talking about E. Sims Campbell. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, so anyway, and and being a, being somewhat of a historian, you know, I, my degree, even though my degree really wasn't in history, most of my credits were in history when I was in college. So I always had this thing about you know appropriately looking at what what is going on. So there's historical stuff, like I said, like E. Sims Campbell, that when you want, there was this great illustrator, and when you, you, when you see the name, it's like, oh, well, he's an esquire, he's a judge, and, you know, he's doing barbasol ads, and, oh, my God, it's, he's African-American. What, how did this happen? Okay. So that leads down certain paths also. Yeah, well, it's just, like, like I'm shocked, but I'm also sad, the fact that the first time I have to hear about E. Sims Campbell is when I come over here. <laughs> Sorry, it's like it's not your fault. It's just like well, no, no, but no one really talks about it. No, no one, no one talks about a lot of this stuff. And and um, you actually someone hit a nail, a nail on the head. Um, every year for SPX on the Monday after, I invite people over to my house for lunch, two or three people. Okay, and I give them a tour of the collection, and I make sure that they see things from quote unquote the old guys. Okay, and women in some cases um, that they have never seen before. All right, because part part of part of my goal with my collection is to educate people yeah. okay, on on what on what happened before, whether it was good shit or bad shit, as the case may be. So, um, you know, I don't know how much you knew about this, but you know, you know, I as you can tell, as I started breaking stuff out, I was like, well, let me give you some of your background. Yeah. Okay, and you know the history of of your people, my people, our people, as the case may be. Um, and some of it is sad, like that ham bones meditations. Yeah. Okay. Uh, unbelievably sad how that kind of a racist cartoon could be published for what was it thirty five forty years. That's, yeah. Okay. Was, in, was you said was in the tenant was it? It was in the um, Memphis um, commercial appeal. Yeah. It and, was. And you know I I read you that you know I should go back and read it here just so people can understand what what was going on but just reading that introduction about the sheer unadulterated you have got to be kidding racist view that they had just in the introduction yeah like, without even seeing any of the cartoons like okay. northern black people are just they just they're immigrants is escaping like trying to run away from their their roots their roots yeah right being yeah. just like raccoons <laughs> it's just like wow like. That's in the that's the introduction to the book. About, that's the introduction oh, to the book, right? Yeah, exactly. It's essentially like it was like when I used to go to the library as a kid and get the the big books of like Garfield. It was like a collection of just this this character called Handbone. It just it. Yeah, most people have have not seen it, and it's one of those things that when you when you read it, but when especially you read that introduction, you go, "Oh my God!" All right, this is the way things used to be. And it's not that long ago. No, so it's, it's not just that long like... ago, okay? See, that's just it. And as I, as I said, the son continued the father's cartoon strip. So it ran multiple generations in the same family. Yeah, it's just stuff like that. You just, you clearly see this, like, it's not that far away, and it still affects things. Right, right. Well, and, and, and we, we had talked about the... Uh, uh, the thing in my book about Jim Crow goes to war and all the stuff that was in there that most people didn't know about. Yeah, what was it? It was a Jackson. That was the coolest. Jack, what Speed Jackson? Speed Jackson's the right. coolest freaking comic strip hero name I'd ever heard in my life. I got to that part, I was like, "Where's? I never heard of this dude. Like, what is? Like, how come this hasn't been reprinted or talked about? Because his name is Speed Jackson. Like, that's." 
and he was beating up the crackers. It was okay. like that should be like that should have been like a Carl Weathers movie in like nineteen eighty five or something. That, that's right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and 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 this is one of the, this is one of the things that that I wanted to do with that part of the book is to bring to light. As a matter of fact, you know, in that book, like ninety percent of the images haven't been seen since the war, and so. Um, with with that in particular, I, I that, that's the longest chapter in the book, and I did that purposely, okay? Because there was so much material out there that no one had ever seen before from the African American experience during the war, that it was that it was important to to bring it out and yeah. to show, like I was showing you, Ollie Harrington. Well, you know, there was Mel Tapley, there was Francis Yancey, there was um, uh, Charles Alston, who actually drew for the Office of War Information. Um, so there were all these great African American cartoonists doing this incredibly powerful work. In fact, I got a I got a note from Matt Bores, um, who ran the Nib. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, he, he he wrote me. He says, you know, Warren, they were doing some really powerful stuff back there, and I was yeah. like, I was like, yeah, but no one knew about it because they were in these small weekly newspapers, only distributed to the African American communities in a segregated America. So. Um, Cat like my microphone. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but yeah, yeah. The Speed Jackson. When I ran across that, I, I had to put that entire sequence in because it was. Um, uh, for those of you that, that that don't know, the sequence is is Speed Jackson is a I believe a captain or a sergeant in the United States Army. He um, he and his crew come back from uh, from a hard fight against the Nazis. There were some Russian women that came over from, from the Russian side that, you know, wanted to, you know, basically dance with the troops. And um, one of the white guys said, you know, what are you characters doing trying to dance with the white women? And Speed Jackson basically went off and beat the crap out of some white guy. Yeah. Okay. And made him apologize. And then the very end of it is the captain, who um, is clearly a capitalist who doesn't like the collusion between the labor unions and the African-Americans, uh, is about to send Speed Jackson off on a secret special mission where he's going to go ahead and take the airplane and make sure it never comes back again. <laughs> and and um, I, I should go and get the rest of, rest of that sequence and put it up on the Internet. So, But, uh, you know, th 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 this was all great stuff. And once again, this is all stuff that's out there in plain sight. Irrelevant as to the reason, no one has bothered to go ahead and bring this stuff up, and and so I had this opportunity and I took it. Yeah, it's just something that, and I could be completely uninformed. It's maybe there might have been some person somewhere, but I know I haven't seen it nor heard anybody talk about it because I can't be mad at anybody my age and younger knowing about it because no one told us. I don't even know if this is stuff that like maybe my parents would know about because if my, they didn't, if they didn't read those newspapers, yeah, and they, they were know young. About it. Right, parents is like baby boomer age, so they wouldn't. Some of the stuff from the war stuff they didn't know about anyway. Right, right, because by by that point the um uh the circulations of those newspapers yeah. were going down. Okay, you know I think the Chicago Defender is now strictly digital. The Baltimore Afro American still does a print edition. So, you know, as of course, all newspapers have gotten hammered over the last two yeah. decades. But even the two decades before that, unless you were in certain neighborhoods, you would not have seen um, those, particular, uh, those particular newspapers. And all those cartoonists were great. I mean, when you, you know, you saw what they, what they were drawing, what yeah, they were doing. Yeah, those were great people, a lot of great stuff. work. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, that, that this leads to more people like yourself discovering this really rich history that was there, and by the way, those cartoons were published in those papers for 
60 years, 70 years. They had cartoonists doing that kind of work. So there's a, there's a whole boatload of stuff. Like I said, I, I, had, um, I had also um, scanned um, pomade ads that were done as cartoons. Uh, I'll have to show you some of those. Um, I scanned other cartoons that had nothing to do with the war. There was um, one thing that I think it was the New York Amsterdam News. They had a little cartoon that was all about basically how to behave. Okay? And the whole crux behind it was, look, we need to behave certain ways so that the white people will respect us. Oh, so it's like respectability politics from like that's 19... right, nineteen forty-two. That's crazy. Okay, that's exactly what there it was. There ads, was they there, there, no, these, no, no, these were cartoons Little that cartoons. ran on the editorial editorial pages. That wow. yeah, yeah, I, 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 I think I scanned a couple of them, so that's I can, insane. I can crack that, I can crack that out for you. But yeah, they were there. But but think about this: who's done the research to go look for that stuff? There's this, there's this amazing amount of material in there. Okay, um, the cartoons, you know, the cartoons that ran as ads, like I said, the, you know, the pomade stuff, we were talking about this earlier, that if you look and you put 21st century eyes on it, you would say this was racist. If, yeah. you, know, if, you, if you took the name of the product out, yeah. you would say this is some racist thing. But it ran in a black newspaper and it was put out there by a black company. Drawn by a black person. Drawn, drawn by a black person aimed at the black community. Yeah. Okay, well now wait a minute. Yeah. All right. Well, how can you, you know, how can you put that label on something that is so purely, yeah, of it's it's clear of its time, but yeah, it would be it would, yeah. Even reading it, I looked at it, it's like yeah, some people won't, they wouldn't, yeah, they wouldn't like this. Well, <laughs> well yeah, the, the Ollie Harrington cartoons we were looking at, you know, just think about some of those. Those were, were done by Ollie Harrington, one of the greatest of African American cartoonists. Okay. For the Pittsburgh Courier, which at the time was the largest circulation African-American newspaper in the United States, okay? And today, you look at some of that stuff, which is from the mid-50s. I think that book was copyright 57 or 58 or something like that. If you were to take those and bring them into a class in modern-day academia, they would declare them racist. Yeah. Wait a minute. How can that be? No yeah. white people were involved. Yeah. Okay. They, they were they were nowhere to be seen. Yeah. And then I would they, probably... They and and they, they didn't pay Ollie's salary. They didn't pay the salary of the yeah. people in the Pittsburgh Courier. Okay, there was no, no white people were anywhere involved. When I yeah, when I was reading it, that's clearly something that it still happens today. Like, there are things that sometimes black people make, and then like when the black people see it, there's this great debate as to one. The ones is like this is fine, this is great, and this one's like no, this is cooning. This right, yeah, bad. yeah, right, yeah, yeah. This is, you can't show this in front of, this makes us look bad. You can't show this, essentially, you can't show this to white people. Yeah, right, sure. Did you ever see the Spike Lee movie Bamboozled? Uh, yeah, to, yeah it, just, <laughs> it just came back in rotation on HBO. I've been watching parts of it. Yeah. Like every, every week, I watch a little oh. bit of Bamboozled. Now, now, now catch this on exactly that. Now, um, I just um, supported a Kickstarter, and you might be interested in this. Um, this guy, David Pilgrim put out this book, uh, Understanding Jim Crow, Using Racist Memorabilia to Teach Tolerance and Promote Social Justice. And up in Michigan, I think it's where, Freeman State University or something like that? Anyway, up in Michigan is this amazing collection of Jim Crow memorabilia that they put into this big museum. Wow, that's a weird... Yeah, that's why. So, so this is a, a, a doorstop in the shape yeah. of an African American with bullet holes in it. It's like they shot it. Like they, yeah, they, 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 shot, it, they right. shot it. They shot it. Right, exactly. 
So um, anyway, so this is this has all all kinds of stuff from out of the collection up there, and it's basically the whole story of the images that people were used. You know, here's you know it's nice lynching. Um, I just got this. I, I went through and I, I looked at a lot of the uh, the um, memorabilia and stuff that they were here. This gives you an idea of what some of the display cases they've got. But I, I've got to go out and check this out. This is Matt saying, I look white, I married white, now I must live with a secret that can destroy us both. I pass for white. Is this like a book or something? It was a movie. It was a movie? Yeah, yeah, these are all movies, okay? Black, Black Hooker. Hooker. Yeah, you're right. She was level, she was mean, damn me. Black Hooker. I kind of want to see this movie. And the kids. The, the, this rebel she was breed, white. okay? This rebel breed. It plays an impact. The screen looks squarely to the face of today's wild teenage emotions calling the cross. Yeah, so this is all black exploitation stuff from the 70s, except except for this one. I passed for white, I think, is a lot earlier. I passed for white. I never heard of that. That's something I gotta, like, find. So, anyway, so. The so, sun is my undoing. Mistress. Whoa, this is crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, Tragic mulatto. Like, what? That's like a whole section on the. On the wow. Yes. Right, all right. So. Um, so I supported this, uh, this thing and it's, it's just incredible what, what this guy, this one guy started collecting this stuff. And this is the story. There's actually two stories. The beginning of the book is, um, I haven't read the whole thing. The beginning of the book is, um, basically this guy's story about how he assembled the collection and his view of, you know, all of the merchandising that went into all of this pop culture stuff that was specifically racist. And then the second part of the book is the history of all of that stuff. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, so they've, they've got, you know, all the blackface stuff, um, different kinds of sheet music. The high school minstrel book, whoa. All right. Um, segregationists, you know, inclusive white laborers only, you know, so all, all of the stuff that they do. Anyway, you should try to get a copy of that also. Yeah, I would. That is something I see. Ford by Henry Louis Gates. Yeah, using racist memorabilia to teach right tolerance and promote social justice. Yeah, it, it seems weird because it's almost in a way they kind of like America decides to try to erase it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like growing up, I remember seeing cart. I remember seeing Tom and Jerry cartoons with the Mammy character. Right, and then. By the time I got to be like in middle school, they've already went through the process of either of taking them all out, right? Taking them out or yeah. completely changing the voices and everything so yeah. they don't sound like completely racist. But to me, right. it's like, well, they were already like they were like even though they're messed up or whatever, like they were they were fine. Like I don't want you to get rid of it. Right. I also remember um, Cartoon Network did this, this this show called it was like a show of the history of cartoons. And like it was, it was a point in which they decided to no longer show Speedy Gonzalez cartoons. Right, right. And then like I remember like right, like Mexican American community looked like like no, this is like the only character you had. That's right. So you yeah. can't erase them. You can't take them away. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, damn, like this is it's crazy how like they well, were we, we were talking about this that the um the textbooks in uh, Texas, okay. They're not slaves. They're workers. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, you sit there and you go, what? I don't what even understand happened? how that's that's okay. Like, I don't even understand how you could put out a textbook that does that if everyone in the country has to learn the but, same but, thing. But, but, but remember, the people who did that, okay, have this vision of this perfect America, that America never did anything wrong. All right? And so the best way that they can do that is to, you know... W- 
one one person I forgot who was it that said you know he who write you know he who wins the history writes the history. Yeah. Well, these people won the elections to the school boards. Okay, and because they won the elections to the school boards, they're now going to dictate what history was like, and that, and that's what's going on, right? So whether it's uh, African American slaves or whether it's evolution, right? It's the same battle that, that these people are now doing, and it's, it's it's unbelievable what they're what they're doing. They're they're distorting history. They're just uh, absolutely taking it and distorting it to go ahead and push their political agenda. And and in some cases, religious agenda. Yeah. Because also, you know, people forget that um, the Bible was used to go ahead and uh, justify slavery. Yeah. So you know, where where's where's that ever talked about? But they don't do that. It, yeah, it's interesting in which they that comes up, like that happened, but now we're there's so much talk about essentially a religion that you know from the little bit I know in history of religion that is essentially like Islam is very close to Christianity and also very close to Judaism because they right. essentially come from the same, right, come from the same roots yeah, yeah. yeah but to say that's like this religion is terrible it breeds, it breeds these things it spreads this ideology but like Guess Christianity did the same does it is and does the same like right. a dude just went in the shower Planned Parenthood for whatever reason he has yeah, remember to be. he's not a terrorist yeah okay yeah yeah <laughs> he's not like, a somehow okay. he's not a terrorist that's right he's the wrong color yeah okay it's just, it's weird it's also interesting like when looking at the looking at your book which is oh do you want me to sign it yes cartoons for victory and some of the stuff the cartoons in it deals with the same issues we're dealing with right now right like the same exact issues, and it's yep. like eight seventy plus years later. Right, almost eighty plus years. It's the same stuff. It's uh, uh, it's a sad state of affairs, um, but you know, alas, that that's the way it is. It's yeah, and it's also I guess interesting for me this year. There's been so much talk about diversity in comics. Especially because who writes the comics, who draws the comics, right? Sure. Yeah. Who edits the comics? Yeah. And to now, like, find out, like, East Sims Campbell was doing this, this in nineteen thirty one, like, like <laughs> to a whole nother level, like, and and all the people that were in here, it's like, well, you just you, you have to look. That okay? is like, what happened? Like, what? Like, where right. did we go? Like, how did we lose those avenues? Like. What happened to get to this point where, like, like you showed me that, like, E. Sims Campbell was drawing a comic essentially about the beautiful. adventures of beautiful white women. That's right. For Hearst, because right. Hearst was just like, like, that is, like, my favorite dude or something. So it's like, yo, I need you to draw this comic about just pretty white women. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it happened that way, but regardless, but I'm just, I'm just no, no, not but, hyper, but it, ran for, it ran for he ran it for thirty years. That's the Hearst papers ran that for thirty years, and like we were talking about, Esims Campbell, while he was doing that, also did a single panel cartoon in the New York Amsterdam News about life in Harlem. At the same, same exact time, yeah. It didn't run for as many years, but he did do it at the same time. I would love to see that comic because that sounds. I, I, I might have, you know, I'll, I'll look. I, you know, I'll, I'll send you some scans of stuff that I was able to. 
I, I went through a lot of material, and, and I know that I, I think I, I got one or two of those. If I didn't, I can find them, so it's not a big deal. Yeah. But, yeah, so um, now, you know, when, when, it, when it comes to that, um, you know, one of the interesting things is, is that, and this is something I've seen at, at SPX, we're seeing a lot of um, female creators coming into SPX. Yes. And I think that, that one of the things that is happening, I've, I've discussed it with, the, and I'm not the first person to think of this, um, but one of the things that is happening is is that the guys, regardless of, of race, are are superhero people. Not on you know not unjustifiably so. I mean, I love superhero stuff, but they're also looking to make their break to get some multi million dollar deal in Hollywood, okay, or on television. The indie comics people have different paths. They want to get into you know animation. We had Nickelodeon this year as a, yeah. I met that the, 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 the one of the yeah, VPs yeah. was there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Phil Phil came. Yeah, Phil he was nice. Came. Yeah, really, really nice people. I'm gonna go out and see them uh, when I'm out in LA in a couple of months. Um, they go. They they want to work for the New Yorker. They want to do commercial illustration work. So there's a different path that these people are taking, and because there's this vacuum, because the superhero world is sucking so many guys over into that realm. You know, when you go up to Baltimore Comic Con and you look at the creators and you look at the creators in SPX, it's a very different mix. It's, compl- it's, it's completely, utterly... It's, com- it's completely different. It's like different universe. Right, right. And it, now, one's not better than the other. It's just the way it is, yeah. okay? And so, um, you know, when, when, when it comes to, to, to racial stuff... You know, the barrier to entry in terms of getting into any of these worlds right now is very, very low, all right? The issue is, as you said, is being discovered and given that first big, big thing. Um, you know, uh, Jaime and Gilbert Hernandez, uh, you know, consider them, you know, what, 30 years ago, they were 35 years ago, they were the first um, Latinos to go ahead and hit it really big in the comics world. Yeah. All right? So now, you know, I'm, I'm hoping more and more come in. We want to see more come in. Um, uh, you know, my good, my good buddy Keith's been coming to SPX for years. We had Spike Trotman as the, um, you know, MC this year. Yeah, she does really, yeah, really, she, really well. Yeah, yeah, she's, yeah she's, she's great. It was great hanging out with her. Um, in fact, uh, I, got, I got to get a hold of Keith because um, I want a copy of um, his latest book, They Shoot Black People, Don't They? <laughs> He has some great titles. I hopefully I can get him on the show. I talked to him about it. I gotta get him up on the the technology. Yeah, Keith. Um, uh, Keith's still an analog man trapped in a digital world. Okay, <laughs> he still uses his his uh, you know his uh, he's still ink to paper and stuff like that, which is actually good because one of the bad things now now think about this. One of the bad things is is that if you want to do an exhibition, it doesn't matter who it is, whether it's Keith or somebody else. I had a discussion with a couple of different people that there are so many people now working digitally that the only way to really have an exhibition is just to go ahead and print out what they did mm-hmm. as opposed to seeing actual pen and ink work. So you don't know what was really done with Photoshop versus what was really drawn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, um, you, you know, looking at prints is all fine and dandy, but it's pretty boring. I like seeing the original work. Um, it kind of destroys the original art market in the future. Yeah, right. In like well, about also, 10 or 15 years, it can really massively affect the, the rates of what original art costs because somebody well, might switch over. So not, not only that, but also think about exhibitions. Yeah, and so okay. showing the work. Showing the works. Okay, you sit yeah. there and you go, well, this is pretty boring. All they did was you know, get a digital file and print it out. Yeah, yeah. 
you just sent me the digital file located on my laptop. Yeah. So yeah, because it affects it affects the fine art world too. Because I, that's I've, right. I've I, I dilly dally with that, and I have friends who are in it like it. Like you selling a, essentially a print, even though they want to use fancy names for it. Right. You can't charge the same. Like it doesn't. That's right. That's they right. have to like they have to make sure they prove that they won't print it again. It's a whole bunch of things that like it it changes things. Right. It's almost like. So it's weird, like in comics, it's like at least the one thing I know, like when I go, when I go to SBX and I see all the independent artists, especially with the mini comics people, like all that stuff you could tell is just like, right. it's people drawing just like regular stuff, like it's still like some of that stuff is like ballpoint pen, right? Yeah, yeah, some <laughs> like regular. Well, who's it? Like Jim Rugg. I don't care if you've seen any work that he's done in color yes. pencil. Yeah, I know. Oh yeah, my know. god, he's, <laughs> his stuff is incredible. The stuff what he does with like colored ballpoint pens. Right, right, colored ballpoint pens. Um, like he's just that good. He makes me like feel bad. Like I need to draw some more or something. Well, Becky Driestad comes every year. Um, she did a poster for us two years ago, that she gave us the original, and it was all done in watercolor and gouache. It was a mind-boggling piece of, of artistic execution. It was unbelievable what a great piece of art that was. When, when, you, when you looked at you know, all the stuff that she had to do in order to put it together, it was just fantastic. I love that stuff. So thankfully, I don't collect the original art. I have some, but I don't collect it. Yeah. Um, I, I, in fact, I made, a, I made a, a decision many years ago. I'd much rather go after the books than the art. Even though I should have most probably gone after some of the art. I, the one piece of art I never got is I always wanted a, um, a Sunday Crazy Cat page, but I never got one of those. So I guess um, uh, th- th- that's on my list of things to get in my next lifetime. <laughs> so, uh, uh, no, it was um, uh, any other uh, questions about um, SPX or. Yeah, like. Like, I, I guess, like, what goes into. Like what goes into, I guess planning <laughs> the event. Not like only like, do you have like themes that you guys pick? Do you like this year we're gonna do this? Or well, I, I this I year have... we're gonna change this. Like there's no, there was a moment in which it seems like it was a time when like I didn't it didn't like seem like you were taping the panels and now that there there is taping of the panels and now it's like. Well, I'll I'll deal deal with the first one first in terms of themes. Okay. okay. So the themes, that, that was something I kind of brought in, okay? And um, like this coming year, we're not really going to have a theme. I don't know if we'll have a theme in 2017 either. Um, but like, for instance, this year, because it was our 21st birthday, we wanted to throw a spotlight on the people who have only worked in the 21st century. So that's why we gathered up. It was, yeah, okay, and, you know, I get to, it. I mean, to see Noel Stevenson and Kate Beaton on the same panel, are you kidding me? Okay, you know, my head was exploding. Um so, and then the year before, I wanted to do the old weekly thing because we also did the museum exhibition. So, you know, they, they, they come up. Um, there's none in the hopper right now. Like, for instance, you know, this coming year, we're going to have Dan Klaus, Jeffrey Brown, and we're, st- we're now working on stuff. But in terms of planning, just to give you an idea, I normally, for the big-time guests like a Dan Klaus, you've got to go like a year and a half before to try to try to nail people down, whether it's Klaus or Ware or Kate Beaton or somebody, because they're so they're so big. They, well, well, they got to work. They, they 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 have work. They you know if they have books coming out, okay, that takes them on tours. All right, so there's all this other stuff. Um, other people, you know, they get grants and have to go overseas. So you know you got to start you know to get the big people really uh, uh, well well in advance. 
But to more specifically answer your question, uh, as a matter of fact, this coming Saturday, right here in this living room, we're going to have the planning for SPX 2016. So the whole executive committee, there's like 18 of us. So it's the board of directors and the executive committee are going to pile in my living room. And um, the first thing we do is we go over the 2015 show and we do, in in the corporate world, the fancy way of calling it is continuous improvement. The old-fashioned way of calling it was a post-mortem, which is like, okay, we did this project. What, where did we screw up? What could yeah. we have done better? So that, that's the first part of the, of the meeting. And the second part of the meeting is what we want to do for 2016 and then trying to slot all this stuff in. Okay, and so we, we're literally starting now for the 2016 show. That sounds about right. It's yeah. Just, it's, it, was, it, was very, it was a very packed show. A lot of stuff happened. It, I also noticed it's like... That show feels very, very young. Yes. Out of like every, uh, compared to any convention, besides, let's say, an anime convention. Right, 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 yeah. It feels completely and utterly like, like youth, like shepherded. Like, like not like, maybe not in the, in the back, but in the front. It's like all the faces feel young. Like, right. there's this heavy Tumblr presence. Yes. There was like, what was it? It was like a prom or something that was this yeah, year. Yeah, right, right, right. We had, the last two years we've had a dance party, the prom. Yeah, yeah. Like, and like all the people I meet that does stuff there, they're younger than me. So like, I even, I feel a little bit old Dude, when I'm walking around. everybody's younger than me. Okay. Yeah. So I don't want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I don't feel old yet. But the point is like. Well, no, no. And, and some of the, um, uh, you know, I've had conversations with, um, uh, you know, Dean Haskell, Nick Bertozzi, Jason Little, along those same lines that, and, and this has been written about, Tom Spurgeon wrote about this, Frank Santoro's written about it, that, you know, um, the, the people who first started to come to SPX in the 90s, in the first part of the 21st century, well, you know something, they're now all in their 40s, yeah. okay, and, and so there's this whole new, and so there's this, um, it's age. It's just it's getting old. It's it's nothing you can do anything about. Okay, um, it, it it was hopeful that more people our age would continue to come, uh, but you know some people get married and they have kids and you know all all this other kind of stuff. Now there are a number of people that do bring their children. Yeah. Okay, and and have been bringing their their children for a while. Uh, my niece um, came to her first SPX when she was eight. So, um, so yeah, when, when it comes to the, to the young stuff, it's an adjustment everybody is going through in terms of, yeah, you know, SPX felt like this home show for this, for this group of people, and now all these young people are coming in, and especially because we have the lottery, okay? And so that lottery, um, a lot of, uh, I'd say most of those people are skew on the younger side for a whole bunch of different reasons. And this is also one reason why we hold a bunch of the tables back so that the, so that one, the work of the Dean Haspiels and the Nick Bertosis and the Jason Littles and the whoever's gets exposed to, you know, the younger crowd so that they, so that they you know, there's, there's this yeah. mix, you know. SPX is not a slice in time. SPX is a continuum, okay? So SPX is not supposed to be a snapshot that says that this is the perfection of indie comics in 2015. It is... Here's SPX, okay, here's a bunch of people from 2015, here's a bunch of people previous to that, and here's a bunch of people who've been with SPX since day one. And it's important that everybody who comes into SPX gets that broad-based exposure, all right? And and also, we we want, you know, so on the the flip side, we want to be sure that, like I said, the the Knicks and the the Jasons and everybody 
has an outlet to go ahead and show their stuff. They're, they're still producing. It's not like these people have dried up and gone away. Yeah. I mean, Bill Griffith's been doing, you know, Zippy the Pinhead is now in its 30th year of syndication. Is that old? Yeah. I didn't know it was that old. Oh, no, well, actually, Zippy the Pinhead started, I think it was 72 when it first started, but in terms of newspaper syndication, it's, uh, it's uh, I think, at least 30 years old now. So, you know, we, we view this, and, and this is why we do the tables the way we do, is that um, we want... All of the, we want the continuum of SPX represented at the shows. Yeah, I think you, I think you guys are successful with that. And that's another thing is like, do you market to um, do you market to art schools or do art schools just find out about you because there's well, always a strong presence from specific art schools like well, the uh, SCADs or well, sometimes uh, SCAD, um, SVA. CCS, SVA, they all get tables. Okay. Okay. So they get tables. We send um, free passes a lot of times up to MICA, sometimes down to Montgomery College, yeah. some of the other places. But we make sure that the schools have a presence, okay? And and some of these schools, you know, uh, James started CCS, was it like 10, 12 years ago or something like that? And when he wanted a table, we got him a table, and now we feel it's important that one, that the CCS people come down and get exposed to what's going on at SPX, and that two, that the people who come to SPX get exposed to the work that CCS is doing. As but an example, yeah. SCAD, SVA, all of those schools come. I, mean, I was always important. I was always mad at my alma mater for not promoting or sending people to SPX. I went to Pratt Institute. You went to Pratt Institute. Some of them don't do that. Okay, yeah. Some of them think it's important to come. And those think it's important to come. We go, okay, you know, great. And you know, so we, we, we give um, those schools that have been with us for a number of years, we get them right of first refusal on tables, and we say, do you want a table this year? And if they go no, then it goes into the lottery pool. If they say yes, then, then they get their table, okay? And so this gets into the continuum thing, because we think yeah. the schools are important. You know, they've been cranking out, you know, a lot of a lot of fantastic talent, and there's a lot of stuff that I've gotten at, you know, whether it's SCADs or SVAs or what have you, or uh, Tom Hart's thing down in Florida. You know, there's, there's great work going on there. So you know we're, we're we're big supporters of that. We think we think that that's that's part of the SBX community. Yeah, I do, I do. I must say I do enjoy seeing. It helps me keep an eye out for things that I wouldn't. That I wouldn't know about because it's like SPX. I use that as the. I don't I don't go to many of the the comic news sites like I used to. Like some of the things like the Comics Journal, right? Things like that. I kind of just like. I just wait. I was like, I'm just going to go to SPX. I'm going to see what looks amazing. Well, <laughs> no, no, but it's, it's interesting you say that because, you know, for one, it's it's so hard to keep up. And then there's just the web comics world. Forget about the print side. Just yeah. the web comics world, if you just focus on that. And I'll be honest with you, I, I do the same thing. I do all my buying when it comes to indie comic stuff at TCAF, Mocha, and SPX. And, and and actually, I do more of it at TCAF and MOCA because at SPX, I barely get any time. You don't have any time to, to do it. Yeah, I, I, I can't get out on the floor very much. I, I see maybe, you know, 20, 30 tables or something like that. But I, I, I just, just because of what I have to do. So I do a lot of my buying at TCAF and MOCA. I go up there and I, you know, I go through and, and I'll see people and I go, gee, would you like to come to SPX? And, you know, part of my job and we have other people that do this, go to other shows. And if we see someone, then this is how we got No Brow as, as one example. Um, we, uh, uh, I was told about it. I went to London. It was five or six years ago. I went to their store, their storefront. They, they closed it down. The storefront is now part of the production side. And, um, they they got the comic arts Brooklyn and, and they, they, they then came to SPX. Okay, and, and that started with, you know, me going to the show, 
yeah. going to um, No Brow to their headquarters and you know meeting Sam and Alex and getting a tour of the facilities by Sam and Alex. So we, so we so we do stuff like that. You know, we're 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 not trying to be static. So we do do this level of invitation where we go. Hey, you know something? We'd really love to have X, whoever X is, at SPX, or, oh my God, you know, we, we love the stuff that you're publishing. Would you please come in? Koyama was another example. Okay, wow, we'd love to get you down to SPX. So, you know, p- part of what we do is to go and scout at the other shows and say, wow, you're doing great stuff. We, you know, we would love to have you come and show, you know, be at, the, be at SPX and show the Washington, D.C. community, you know, what you've got. Self, self-made hero. Um, I visited them in London. And, and got them, and this year they brought Frederick Peters over, okay, who, who you know, his stuff is just amazing. So, um, uh, you know, we, we try to keep it fresh in that respect. Do you try to um, also reach out to get more editorial cartoonists in, or...? Well, this year, I, um, I, I, I've already talked with some people without, without um, speaking out of turn. Um, we feel that... Um, during presidential election years, you know, SPX is going to be like seven weeks before the election. We're going to do something. Last, uh, in 2012, well, let me back up. In 2008 was the first time we did that. I, I, um, uh, my predecessors allowed me to bring some political cartoonists in, and so we had a, uh, a thing of before the 2008 election. So Tom Tomorrow came and Ken Fisher and all these political cartoonists came down. The American Association of Editorial Cartoonists really liked that. And in 2012, they held their convention here in D.C. Um, right around SPX time. So they can get some crossover. So they can get, so they can get some crossover um, uh, in, uh, for a whole bunch of different stuff. Um, but this year, they're going to have their thing down, I think, at Duke University. So we're going to, we don't know how it's going to manifest itself. We don't know who's going to be invited yet, but we're going to do something because there's a presidential election. You know, here in the D.C. area, we've got an Antel Ness Pulitzer Prize winner and a Matt Worker who also won the Pulitzer Prize. Oh, really? He's living in Washington, D.C. Yeah, these are two tremendous political cartoonists. Yeah, it seems uh, political cartoons have, uh, there was a period where I think they were, People weren't talking about them, right? But I think lately I see them a lot now, thanks to thanks to social media. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Facebook, people will post up an right. editorial cartoon really quickly, or Instagram, like very, very, very quickly. Well, so you know, uh, Keith, uh, Keith Knight has always been. A yeah, he's always been, he's been always doing okay. it. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so well, you know, we don't know who it's going to be, but we'll definitely do something with political cartoons because it's the you know it's a presidential election. Washington, Washington D.C. should have something special with political cartoonists. Before the election. election. Period. End of statement. So yeah. We're going to do it. We don't know what it's going to be, though. I am going to reach out to, you know, Matt and Ann, and, you know, we'll, we'll figure something out. So stay tuned. But the answer is yes. Okay. Cool. Cool. Well, I don't even know what else to... Um... <laughs> I don't know what else to, to, to ask about. I think we covered a lot of... A lot of stuff. I'm not gonna lie, that weird handbone comic is still in my brain because it was that messed up. Like, like that was probably the most messed up thing I've seen in a while. Like that, you read the introduction. It was like, you know, you know what I do. Um, you'll take a picture of the introduction, and when you post this podcast, post the picture of the cover and the first page of the introduction. Everybody can read it. Yeah. Okay. Because it, it is as I read it to you, it is thoroughly fucked up okay yeah but that's the way people thought I, even 
thought. I think saying thought <laughs> is in past tense. Man, I think that's yeah, giving right, a right. lot okay, of credit. Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> I'm not going to dispute you on that. <laughs> <laughs> but they. Yeah, so we'll so we'll get um we'll, we'll take care of that. We'll make that happen. Okay. Yeah. And then you just post it up there when, when you post the podcast, and boom, people can go read for themselves. Yeah. That was the craziest thing I've I've heard and saw. Because even the alphabet coon, the coon alphabet wasn't, it was like, okay, it's. Right. It's like, yeah, whatever. Like, oh, okay. I've seen that before. Like, yeah, right, right. Yeah, but we'll, we'll get a picture of that. Yeah, okay. Right. And then, but the, the hand bones meditations, yeah, that's that's thoroughly messed. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. So I guess this is, I'll wrap up here. Look, so thanks for taking the time to show me everything. Oh, not, not a problem. It was a, it was a total joy. Okay. I, I, I love. I uh, love having people come by and um, showing them stuff they've never seen yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. Today was a learning day. <laughs> today was a learning day. I heard about black artists I never knew existed, black comics I never knew existed, racist comics I never knew existed, crazy anti-Semitic right. picture books. like From Nazi Germany. Right? Nazi yeah. Germany cartoons and comics, Soviet, French so much stuff, so much old work, so much classic cartooning that you have that you're lucky enough to like keep it all. Found out that Commissioner Gordon is a, <laughs> is a bite from a pulp uh, book pulp. called The Whisperer. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, as just, was as was um Superman's. Yeah, the four sides was like that one I knew, but the yeah. okay, Commissioner Gordon? Nah, that's yeah, all new. Commissioner to me. Gordon was a whisperer, yeah. They have James they, Gordon, yeah. They, have been, they got a whole show based around Jim Gordon. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's like and it all started in a pulp before Batman. Man. Yep. Uh, Man. Look, there was a, there was a lot of stuff that a lot of that happened back then. Okay. Um, but it's important that people find all this stuff out. That's all. I, I had other stuff that I, you know, because of the amount of time that I didn't get a chance to show you, but I, I can show you other so stuff. So much too. stuff. Well, look, I, I really appreciate you coming out. Um, God, you've been here. Holy crap. It's been like three or four like hours. Three and a right? half hours. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to, to show me. Th- thanks for having, having me out. out. I, I really appreciate you asking me. Oh, man, no problem. Hopefully, I, hopefully I'll get the uh, SPX this year when you guys finish the planning and you put the lottery up. Put my, put my, put my chips in. <laughs> See what happens. All right, here we go. 36697 big stairs. And the pounding becomes a thousand drums. Day in, day out. The same old voodoo follows me about. So, here we go. The part where I tell you where to... All the usuals. You can get at the podcast direct now in terms of your comments at ignorantblisspodcast at gmail.com. Start that email. It's all one word. Ignorantblisspodcast at gmail.com. Um, find me on social media, Julian Lytle, L-Y-T-L-E. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Snapchat. I'm on Vine. If you think about it, I'm probably on it. 
the main ones I use are Twitter and Snapchat. I look at Snapchat. I don't play the same thing. But Instagram, Twitter, uh, Tumblr is uh, julianlidle.tumblr.com. I always post episodes there also. SoundCloud, Julian Lytle, which you'll be able to listen to podcasts there. Just like you'll be able to find them on iTunes and Stitcher and the Taylor Network. If you do listen on iTunes, it'd be much appreciated if you could write a review. Um, my personal website is thejulianlidle.com. I'm going to probably start using my mailing list more. So if you want to know more in between stuff, go there, click on the mailing list link, and I'll start kicking that out sometime soon this winter. And I hope you enjoyed the show. And look out for some more episodes. I've been recording a lot. And things are going to change a little bit in how they're released and how they're broken up. With that, peace. Day in and day out. Day out. Day in. I needn't tell you how my days begin when I.